Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Take your Bibles, please, and join me in Matthew chapter 6. As we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount together at Oxford, we have made it all the way from the beginning of chapter 5 all the way to chapter 6. We've made it to the heart of the sermon, and how fitting is it that at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is this wonderful prayer. At the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, don't miss how important this is, our good Lord teaches us how to pray. Now this prayer, we know it as the Lord's Prayer, but we've come to learn at Oxford it's better if we refer to that as the prayer that the Lord has given us. Because if you want to read the Lord's Prayer, you have to go to John chapter 17 and read how the Lord Himself prays for us, for the greatness of, of His name, for the continuance of the gospel, for our perseverance. So it's better understood as the prayer that the Lord has given us, so that He can then teach us, as verse 9 says, how to pray like this. And as we're studying this prayer, what we're learning is not only how to pray, but we're learning the privilege of prayer. So let's read the entire prayer together. Matthew chapter 6, begin in verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we are grateful, so grateful and humbled that you've brought us to this moment together to Consider the word that you have for us today. Take our minds. Teach us obedience, we pray. No doubt this sermon for some, as we receive your word, will fall hard on our hearts. We pray that we not resist, but instead, Lord, take every thought captive and place it under your obedience. And all of God's people said, Amen. There are no unforgiving people in heaven. Now listen closely to what I said. There are no unforgiving people in heaven. Now I didn't say there are no unforgiven people in heaven. I said there are no unforgiving people in heaven. The second phrase has a little bit of a bite to it, doesn't it? First phrase, oh yeah, no no unforgiven people. Yeah, we understand that, but no unforgiving people in heaven? That has a little bit of a sting to it. But it's explicit in the text that will take our attention this morning. Listen to them again with the thought of no unforgiving people in heaven. Listen again. Look at verses 12. Forgive us our debt, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And then look down at verse 14, and I hope that you're seeing this. This word, our Lord knows, is so difficult for us that He hedges it in. He puts an extra word for it so that we'll understand exactly what it means. Listen to what He says. If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Then look at verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There are no unforgiving people in heaven. Let's make sure we understand the flow of the prayer so that we can understand what our Lord is telling us. Because the last thing we want to do is make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. We want the Bible to say what it says. We want to understand what the Bible says, especially if I'm going to make such a statement like that, that there are no unforgiving people in heaven. We're talking about already, hopefully you can see, we're talking about eternity here. So this is not some fluffy thing. This is, has great weight to it this morning. The prayer begins with our Father in heaven whose name is holy. What does that do? That sets our perspective. And then from that lofty perspective, we're commanded to pray for bread and forgiveness. Isn't that interesting? Here we have the coalescence of God's transcendence and our needs. We have to have this view of this lofty idea that our Father who is in heaven, whose name is holy, but He's not so far removed that He can't be touched. He's not so far removed that He doesn't condescend to our needs. And so He teaches us, pray not only for His will to be done, not only for His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, but then He says, pray for bread and pray for forgiveness. What on earth does bread have to do with forgiveness? And why would Jesus put those two side by side? Why would he put bread right next to forgiveness? Remember, both of these petitions, the reason we're understanding the prayer, both of these petitions are grounded in God's goodness. And both of these petitions have something that we need. Bread is, of course, necessary for life. But so is forgiveness. Forgiveness is necessary for life. And that's the first point that I want you to write down this morning. Number one, we need forgiveness. Now, why did Jesus come? Jesus has come for a reason. The reason that Christ has come is to give us life. But not just any life, is it? He's come to give us abundant life. Jesus has come to our condition of death and decay. To raise us back to life again. To invite us into the eternal fellowship of Himself, the Father, and the Spirit. Jesus has come by His taking on our flesh. His condescending is not so much of a condescension as it is Him raising us up to Himself. He has come to offer us a chance to keep eternal festival before the face of God. He has called us to join the angels and do even better than the angels. He's called us to have a portion of His nature. He gives us, Peter says, we become partakers of the divine nature. He's called us into fellowship with Himself. And the core of that fellowship is forgiveness. Now look at the text. Jesus tells us, to ask forgiveness for our debts. You see that in verse 12? Now, everyone in this room today, because we're all Americans, we all understand debt. 
America is a nation of debtors. Our entire government just shut down the other day because of budgeting, right? We all know the issue with debt and management and budgets and all the rest. The average American, statistics tells us, carries over $137,000 in debt. Now, you're either above average, you're below average, or you're average. But either way, that's what our average economy is, $130,000 in debt. But in our day... Debt is a lot different than it was in the days that Jesus is referring to. In our day, that's nothing more than an annoyance. And I don't mean to downplay debt, but I I do want to downplay it as regards to it was in the first century. There's bankruptcy, there's all those things, but we don't have today what they had back then, which are debtors' prisons. When Jesus was talking about debt, he was speaking to a culture that equated debt with tragedy. In the Roman days... The context that Jesus is speaking into, a uh, debtor would be imprisoned until everything that he owed was paid. So Jesus then looks at this idea of debt with all of its weight to talk about a serious offense that has been made. And here the debt that Jesus is talking to is not a financial debt, but a sin debt. A tremendous wrong has been committed by us. Tremendous. And we need forgiveness. You say, what debt do we owe? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You say, well, what is sin? Sin is transgression. Sin is a trespass against God. Now, who is God? God is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And so when we disobey Him, when we do things that uh, He commands us not to do, we not only sin against His ways, but we sin against Him. And the wages of that sin, the Bible says, is death. Every person, every boy, every girl, red, black, white, whatever, stands in this need. We stand as sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. That's where we stand. Everyone that has breath, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, stands condemned as a sinner. But thanks be to God that those verses that we quote from, Romans 3.23 and 6.23, that's not the entire context of the verse. I know when we learned the Romans road, when we were in Sunday school or RAs or wherever we learned the Romans road, maybe Wednesday night Bible study, whatever, we learn just those portions of the verse. But that's not all there is to those verses. Not only is that not the only context of the verse, we also have this prayer that Jesus is giving us, telling us, commanding us to pray for forgiveness. Jesus tells us, forgive us. Let me show you. We all know Romans 6.23, right? The wages of sin is what? Death. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says this. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now aren't you glad that that last half of that verse is there? It didn't have to be there, right? This is God's Word. He can do what He wants. The wages of sin is death. But Oh, praise God for that contrast. Now, what about Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, is that true? Yes. 
Is that the only truth there is? Praise God, no. Listen to the next verse. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? This prayer that the Lord has given us here, forgive us our debts, is a gospel prayer. You know what it tells us? It tells us that forgiveness is available upon request. It's available upon request. Just ask for it. Now, we know why forgiveness is available at our request. We know why it's at our beck and call. The reason is, is because the one telling us to ask for forgiveness is the very one who himself is the instrument of God's forgiveness, our one Lord, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? He came to this earth on a rescue mission. To rescue who? Sin-wrecked sinners like me and you. People that didn't deserve for the precious Lamb of God to be spilt on their behalf. But He came to take our sorrows and make them His very own. Jesus has come to take the wages of our sin upon His back. He paid the penalty of our sin so that we could be forgiven. Now, knowing this gives us the confidence to say something like Romans says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? One of the all things that God will give us? Forgiveness. So, of course, we're forgiven. You say, how do you know I'm forgiven? Because look at the great lengths that God has gone to to forgive us. Number two, the second thing that we learn from this passage is Jesus is the satisfaction for our sins. Now, we need forgiveness. That's where we stand. We're all leveled at the foot of the cross. And thanks be to God that Jesus is the satisfaction for our sin. We have a God, listen, who is more ready to forgive than we are even to ask. Do you believe that? He demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, not we had it all perfect, not He looked down and He said, you know what, that person, he's going to be the next Billy Graham, I might as well forgive him. No, no. We were sinners. And He forgave us. He is more ready to forgive than we are even to ask. God, we could say, is determined to forgive sin. And the Son came to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. Old Puritan pastor Richard Sibbs, he said it this way, There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Woo! Where did he get that from? Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Aren't you glad for that? Corey Ten Boom, a contemporary, she said it this way, There's no pit so deep that his love is not deeper still. Richard Sibbs, There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. This is why Charles Gabriel taught us to sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder why he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. You see, He took my sin and my sorrows and He made them His very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and He suffered and He died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's 
love for me. He taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts. Now, I don't know about you, but we should never, I, I have never and will pray that I never get over the love of God for me. As Bernard of Clairvaux used to teach us to pray, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for you. Is that the prayer of your heart? Don't ever let me get over the cross. If you yawn at the cross this morning, then chances are you have never been to the cross. If you can get over the cross, chances are you've never been there at all. This prayer of forgiveness is one that we constantly need. Now, remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people who are following him. He went up on the mountain. He opened his mouth. He began to speak. He's talking to disciples. And he tells his disciples to pray this way. You say, what do you mean pray that way? I thought that one time we prayed for forgiveness and that was it. Doesn't God forgive us of all sins, past, present, future? Yes, he absolutely does. But we are the people who God tells us to pray for forgiveness. It isn't that we receive salvation more and more when we ask for forgiveness, but it is that we grow more and more into that salvation that we've already received when we ask for forgiveness. And let me just testify to you this morning. Since coming to Christ, I have confessed more sins than ever. Why is that? That's because now that I belong to Jesus and He belongs to me, I have been aware of transgression. I know the difference. Before, I didn't know the difference. But now I know the difference. And so I ask for forgiveness. There again, because of Jesus, I have the confidence, as John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then listen to what John says. If we say that we've not sinned, we make Him a liar. And the truth is not in us. Now there's some groups that want to teach something called sinless perfectionism. I'd like to follow them around one day and see how sinless their perfectionism is, wouldn't you? I'd like to take them on 285 and see how sinless their perfectionism is, wouldn't you? They don't understand. If they say they have no sin, remember John's writing to people who are his little children. He says to them, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. But you know what? That doesn't mean, oh, well, I can't go visit Jesus. No, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. I want to keep a short list with Jesus. You know why? Because there's something that I have learned to delight in more than any quote-unquote pleasures of the flesh. And you know what that is? The delight of the Father. Johnny Hunt taught us to pray, keep me close and keep me clean. That's what I want to pray with Jesus. I don't know about you, but... I pray that you not just say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I hope that you go a little bit deeper than that. Forgive me, Lord, that time I got impatient with my children. The time I kicked the dog when I shouldn't have kicked that dog. The time that I hollered at my wife. The time that I was a little disgruntled at who... Keep a short list with Jesus. And the confidence that we have is because Jesus has taught us, forgive us our debts. Our whole life, listen, our whole life, now that we belong to Jesus, is a life of response to this forgiveness. I'm so glad that Jesus has taught us to pray in this way because this is where the rubber meets the road. We don't just get to sit in our closets 
and pray this prayer. Because look at the next phrase. Forgive us our debts, verse 12. And then the next phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? You see, a lot of times I think that we think about church in this way. We think about having the, the nicest sports car, probably a Mustang GT, probably the 2018 Mustang Bullet that's coming out. But anyway, that's, uh, that's beyond our point today. You have the nicest sports car that you can even think about. You're ready to take it to the track, so you go and you put that high-octane fuel in there. You get it, and you park it in your garage and let it sit. Jesus hasn't called us to simply have some spirituality that just sits and sours. He's called us to have a spirituality that is living in this world, anticipating the world that's coming. And so He calls us to be people of His kingdom, to be subjects of His kingdom. And so our whole life is a response. We live in light of this grace that He's given us, and we pour that grace upon others. We ask for forgiveness, and we forgive. Now that is a true test of discipleship, forgiving others, isn't it? I know we're all church people this morning, but isn't that a true test of discipleship, forgiving other people? That's hard. This is why Jesus puts it in strict terms in His prayer. Number three this morning, we forgive as we have been forgiven. Remember what this prayer is. Don't miss this. This is the Lord's prayer that He has given us to pray in the dawn of the new creation that His empty tomb has brought. Remember, when Matthew writes this, he writes this to tell the story of Jesus. Now, Jesus, of course, there was a day when He said this. Matthew, when he writes this, probably somewhere in the 50s, if Jesus was crucified in the 30s, buried in the 30s, rose in the 30s, ascended in the 30s. So this is, you know, 20 some odd, maybe 15 years later that Matthew is writing these things down. He's recalling what Jesus actually said, but it's always in light of the risen Jesus. So Jesus, He's giving us this prayer, knowing the full plan of God, in the dawn of the new creation that the empty tomb has brought. Jesus has demonstrated an infinite love, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and then He calls us to forgive. As David Crowder reminds us, while I think he was also reflecting on Romans chapter 5, he reminds us in his song, Forgiven, I am the one who held the nails. It was cold between my fingertips. I've hidden in the garden. I've denied you with my lips. God, I fall down on my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me, arms open. Forgiven. Forgiven. You love me when I don't deserve it. Forgiven? I'm forgiven. Jesus, your blood is what makes me innocent. So I'll say goodbye to every sin because I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Now Jesus is calling us to follow Him. And you say, where is Jesus going? Well, He's going to heaven. Of course He's going to heaven. But remember this, the path to heaven is paved with the cross. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Look at the text closely. This is not a forgive or else no forgiveness passage. That's not what it's saying. Look at the context. Don't look at verse 14 and 15 and rip them out of the context. 
verse 14 and 15 flow from the Sermon on the Mount, flow from the prayer that's at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, what He's doing here, He's exacting discipleship and letting us know, listen carefully, letting us know that if we have an attitude of unforgiveness, we don't understand the gospel of grace. It's not, forgive me because I'm so forgiving. No, 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 that's not the, that you're, you're putting things backwards. You forgive and have an attitude of forgiveness because you are forgiven. Let's read it again. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If we have an attitude of unforgiveness, then Jesus is clear. We don't understand and we probably have never received been recipients of the grace of God. You say, well, what is the gospel of grace? The gospel of grace is God's forgiveness that's freely bestowed on us, not because of merit, something that we deserve, but contrary to merit. We didn't deserve forgiveness. We didn't deserve mercy. We didn't deserve grace. We didn't deserve love. But He gave us all of that, plus some. This verse can't be saying, forgive me because I'm so forgiving. On the contrary, a forgiving spirit in us assures us that we understand the gospel. Look at the text. He says in verse 12, notice what it says. It doesn't say, because I have forgiven others, but it says, as. Do you see that? A forgiving spirit assures us that we understand the gospel. Not forgive me because, but forgive me as I forgive. And this difference speaks of the difference that the Father makes in the life of His children. He forgives, we forgive. And if we don't forgive, listen, we are not forgiven. This is why Jesus and He says something else that's been hard for us. Look, chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Look at verse 45. Don't miss this. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For what does He do? He makes the sun rise on evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And then listen to what Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh my. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know what he's saying? He's saying if you don't have a spirit of forgiveness, then you don't understand the gospel. He's saying there are no unforgiving people in heaven. That's what he's saying. He's saying these people don't understand the gospel of grace. They've not been radically transformed. They've not had their life turned upside down by the goodness of the gospel. Some of you may say, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I don't want to make light of your situation. I don't. 
I know there may be a hurt that runs so deep in your life that you can't see anything else. I don't want to make light of how deep your hurt is. What I want to do is I want to show you something deeper than your deepest hurt. I want you to hear Jesus from a cross saying, Father, forgive them. I want you to hear the forgiving God calling you to forgive. I want you to know how deep the Father's love for you is, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. By telling us to forgive, Jesus is calling us today to open our eyes towards a world that is coming. A world that He is bringing where even the vilest offender can be forgiven of all sin. If that world is a true world, and if God can forgive us, how can we not forgive? Are we better than God? Many of us were fixed with all sorts of emotions this last week as we heard of the former U.S. Olympic gymnast, Dr. Larry Nasser, who was found guilty of molesting more than 160 women and girls as young as six years old over a period of several decades. The starting point of the avalanche of justice was one brave woman who first came forward with accusations against Dr. Nasser, Mrs. Rachel Denhollander. At Nasser's sentencing, Denhollander addressed the court for 40 minutes. 40 minutes. And what she said to the man who abused her can only be equated to the gospel of grace. Nasser brought a Bible with him to his sentencing. That was a move that most interpreted as nothing more than manipulative. He spoke of forgiveness. Miss Denhollander, Miss Denhollander said directly to the one who gratified himself at the cost of her innocence. Listen to what she said. In our earlier hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God Himself loving so sacrificially that He gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin He did not commit. By His grace, I to choose to love in this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, she continued. But Larry, if you've read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you've done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done and all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if, if good deeds can erase what you've done. The Bible you carry says it's better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble and you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of grace so sweet. 
because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You say, preacher, I've never done anything like what Nasser has done. And if you say that, you'd be half right. The fact of the matter is we've all done worse. We are responsible for the death of an innocent man. His blood is on our hands. We are responsible for the death of God. We are responsible for the death of the only perfect one who ever lived. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God who came to take away our sins. But this Jesus, who we are responsible for, said from His lips as He was dying on a cross, Father, forgive them, and He taught us to pray, forgive us. He who taught us to pray for forgiveness gives and he has given us a song to sing O perfect redemption the purchase of blood to every believer the promise of God the vilest offender the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Are you forgiven? Are you forgiving? Father in heaven, we love you. And we know that such a message is impossible apart from your grace constraining us, holding us, working through us. There are some here today who need the forgiveness of Jesus. They think that they've run too far, that grace can't reach them. The cross says something different. The cross says that you have moved heaven and earth to save even the vilest. May they run to you for forgiveness and find grace poured out greater than all of their sins. A God who's willing to forgive, to cast their sins as far away from the east as from the west. May they remember that you take our sins and you bury them in the grave of your forgetfulness. May they do that even now, calling upon Jesus, who is more ready to forgive than they are even to ask. Father, for others in this room who they say they cannot forgive, may they test their hearts and there find the grace of God that has forgiven them. Whatever hurt they have, whoever has hurt them, may you echo sweetly and softly. May they hear the voice of your Son crying from a cross, Father, forgive them. And then in your Spirit, with your power, may they look at that person whom they have been holding a grudge against and say, I forgive you.
Have your way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.